Hi, I'm Jill Schlesinger, host of Better Off. And today on the podcast, we are talking about how you can meet 100 people. Networking is out. Meeting 100 people, that's in. Not every single person is going to be helpful to you right away. And that's okay. Understand that. So if somebody says no to you, don't despair. You met a person who could come back in your life in ways that you cannot foresee. You cannot foresee it. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. We're sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Now, you know, this is the program where we provide unconventional and hopefully entertaining insights on your money and your life. And it is the new year, and this may be your moment in time to kickstart your entire view on networking. I know, you hate the word. I hate the word too. And I'm even good at networking. I've got a great guest to introduce to you. Pat Headley, one of her passions is the importance of meeting people. She wrote a book on the topic. It's called Meet 100 People. It's got some great stories about being disciplined and intentional about how you meet people. And, you know, I have to say that this fuzzy idea of forced networking, you can throw it right out the window. Pat was introduced to me by a mutual friend. And uh, if that experience is anything like the book and what she gives to you, boy, you are in for a treat. So here's my interview with Pat Headley. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Pat Headley, welcome to Better Off. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. So we start the podcast off with a very important question. You ready? Yes. What's the best financial or career decision you've ever made? The best financial and career decision I ever made was showing up in person to cancel an interview with the firm I ended up working with for 30 years. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> what, wait, wait. Hold on. Let's go back. What, what was the firm and why did you cancel it? I canceled it because I had gotten another job. This was the summer between my um, two years at business school. And I had been a consultant before. I had worked for a startup. And I wanted to round out my experience. I worked for an investment bank. And I recruited and I got a job. And a week later, I got a letter saying, come meet with us the next week from a uh, then pretty unknown private equity firm. And I didn't know anything about private equity. But since we didn't have cell phones or email, I showed up in person in my jeans to cancel the interview. Get out. And so what happened then? What happened was the person I talked to, I told him what the situation was, and he says, come sit and talk to me. In your jeans 30 in years ago, jeans. which was not kosher, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, 30 years ago. We didn't go to interviews in jeans. Correct. I sat down and I talked to him, and we really enjoyed our conversation. And he said, I'd like you to meet my partner. And I did. And then they said, we're inviting some students to dinner tonight to get to know them better. Would you like to come? And believe it or not, I said, no, I have plans. Really bad idea. <laughs> they said, cancel your plans. And I said, okay. And I went to dinner that night. They said, we would like to have you meet one more person the next morning. Come have coffee with us for breakfast. And I did. And they recognized that I made a commitment to the bank. And I ended up fulfilling that commitment because that's important to me. And they said, if you have extra time at the end of the summer, would you work for us? And I needed the money. And so I did. And then they said, would you work for us part time during your second year? And I did. And they offered me a full-time job. I joined them in 1987, and I worked with them up until three years ago. And that's very rare. It was the best financial decision I ever made because I learned to become an investor. 
that's what the job was. Mm -hmm. And it was the best career decision I ever made because I learned a tremendous amount with incredibly great people. And I advise young people that those are the two things you should really solve for. Learning a lot, steep learning curve, and being with great people. Well, you are now an advisor and an investor in uh, growth companies, and you like to focus specifically on women entrepreneurs. But you've also written this book called Meet 100 People, a how-to guide to the career and life edge everyone's missing. Pat, there's no way you wrote this to, like, become a famous author or to make money. So why'd you write this? I wrote this because this is advice I would have liked to have gotten when I was first starting out. I did not have a network. I had to build it. It took time to build it, and I saw the benefits of it. I also think that it's really one of the secrets to very successful people, and it's a secret that's hidden in plain sight. It's right there, and most people don't recognize it. And I especially find it true with millennials and young people that they have a reluctance, almost a fear, of meeting people in person. What's that about? Is that because they grew up, you know, they're growing up in a digital world? Or is there something that we can ascribe and make it their parents' fault, that like their parents have infantilized them because they've been doing everything for them? I would say it's a little bit more of the former. I think our culture and society has evolved to the extent where we are digitally well-networked. And millennials are the most digitally well-networked generation ever. My kids have hundreds of Facebook friends. They are starting to link into people. I find both Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter to be incredibly helpful and valuable. It's good, but it's not sufficient. It doesn't take the place of an in-person meeting. There was an article in HBR that said that a request done in person is 34 times more likely to be fulfilled than one that's done over email. So don't ask your boss for a raise via email. Never. Ever. Never. (sighs) No. As a matter of fact, if you have a request for someone, it's better to do it in person. I also found that with young people, they get very nervous about getting jobs. And there is pressure to go through the process of job interviewing. And I would say to those parents of children who are going through that, because they also share their concern, that you have to reframe a job search and think of it more as meeting people. And if you think of it that way, what you're doing is you're learning. You're getting advice. You're getting information. You're becoming more confident. And a job will result. If you meet 100 people and you're looking for a job, you will get a job. I mean, it will happen. But you have to go through the process of doing that. So let's talk about the process. So I think that we're you're talking about millennials, but I also think there's plenty of older workers who are just not quite comfortable doing this. And so for you old farts out there like me, you can walk us through both stages. Because the funny thing is that I, I always will people will say to me like, oh, you're naturally an extrovert. Of course, this is easy for you. And it is. OK, so I I get that. But speak to whether it's the millennial or it's a Gen X or a baby boomer who's a little shy, a little bit of an introvert, where to start? Sure. And and I totally understand this because I am an introvert. And, And I think coming from me, it probably comes across a little bit differently. I understand those feelings. I understand the reluctance. But I've also become self-aware, and I know that what drives me is curiosity. I love to learn. 
So my natural reluctance and slight fear is overcome by the fact that I know I'm going to get something that really excites me at the other end of meeting people. I actually love to meet people now because I learn from every single person. Everybody knows something, something that I don't know. And the only way I get to increasing my own knowledge and expertise is by talking to people and meeting people. Do you have a standard set of questions that you rely on when you're meeting with someone new? My goal is to learn about the other person. So if I can ask questions that are in the theme of, how did you get to where you are? What do you enjoy about your job? What are the lessons you've learned? What is the advice you would give to me? And then, and this is the important part, and then really listen to the answers, I'm going to benefit and learn. And anyone will benefit and learn from that experience, whether you're just starting out or whether you were like me three years ago, where I left the job that I had been at for 30 years and I had to recreate my network. So let's get back to you're shy, you're a shy millennial, you're a shy Gen Xer. It just, it feels awful to even think about this. This word networking is a terrible net word anyway, because it has lots of connotations and people are like, oh, gross. And you say, you know, let your natural curiosity guide you. But how do you balance that? You may be very curious, but you're scared. How do you get over the hump of the fear? Sure. And let's talk about what these young people or older people are afraid of, because I will get to the core of it. They are afraid that it's hard, that they don't know how to do it, that they will be rejected, that people will say no. Those three things in particular. First of all, it's hard if nobody's really explained how to do it to you. People tell you to network. Nobody tells you how. The second, it's hard. It's not that hard. It's actually much easier than you think. It seems overwhelming, and my title is a little intimidating, meet 100 people. But you know what? You start with one. You start with one person, and you don't start with the most intimidating person you can think of. You start with somebody in your first-degree network, somebody with whom you have strong ties, the dad of your best friend, the mom of, you know, your aunt, whoever it is, and you start to practice, and you talk to them, and you go to them not saying, I need a job. You go to them saying, I'm here to learn. I love what you've done in your career. Tell me about it. And it requires some work because you have to go in prepared. It's no you longer, do. I mean, when when we were coming up 30 years ago, it wasn't so easy to find out what exactly all these people, we knew what their titles were, but we didn't know what they had, I didn't know, let me speak for myself, I didn't know what people did. Right. So I walked in blind in most of these cases. What is it that we need to do to, to take advantage of the fact that we've landed that first meeting with somebody? Right. There are, there are three things that I think are critical to the whole process of meeting people, and preparation is one. And by preparation, and again, I outline this, the first step to preparation is to look at yourself, is actually to look in the mirror and say, okay, let me take some time out of my incredibly busy, hectic day. Let me put my cell phone in another room. Let me sit down with myself for 15 minutes and think about what am I good at? What am I not so good at? What do I want in my life? What are my goals? I call these reflection exercises, and I have people go through this. So that's step one. Look at yourself. So what's step two? Step two, establish the connection once you're in the meeting. How do you do that? So many ways. If you're meeting somebody in their office, look around. Every single thing in the office was put there by that person. 
And so that means it's important to them. So if you see a book that you also happen to read, you can comment on it and say, oh my gosh, that's my favorite book. Start the conversation on something where you establish a connection and do it as quickly as you can. Establish a commonality because the goal in the meeting is to make the person like you and to be authentic in the process, to not make it up, not to say I love skiing and you hate it. Only do it if you really genuinely like it because people are good at sensing whether somebody's sincere and authentic. And people can do that incredibly well in person. They can't do it in email. It's Mm. hard to do it in email. The goal is to have them like you and to trust you. And to build some rapport. I mean, this is a relationship, right? That's all we're asking you. We're not saying, you know, become the person's best friend. Like, hey, what are you you up to? So what's step three? Step three, and this is where most or many people fail, is follow up. Oh, my gosh. The easiest thing. People don't follow up, and they don't do it right away. If somebody I meet with and I've helped, and even if I haven't helped them, I've spent a half hour, an hour of my time with them, a two-sentence email that says, Pat, thank you so much, really appreciated your advice on X, you know, looking forward to talking to you again. And then if you really want to go above and beyond, if you write me a handwritten (gasps) note, Oh, Oh, my gosh. You will be so special. Yes, absolutely. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. We'll get back to our interview with Pat Headley in just a minute. But if you're looking at the new year as an opportunity to not just restart the way that you meet people and how you can expand your network and enrich it, it's also a great time to think about how you're dealing with your money. If there's any other time besides tax time that it gets you thinking about your money, it's usually as you turn the page into a new year. This could be your moment, gang. This is it. How about you stop paying bloated fees for transactions? How about you consider how you may be able to improve the service and the advice that you're getting? Maybe it's time for you to take control of your financial life. And that is why I am so delighted that Betterment is the sponsor of this show. Betterment is the largest independent online financial advisor. They've created a service that is basically about you, how you can build for the future, retirement, maybe it's college planning, but all for low transparent advisory fees, especially when you compare those to traditional services. A quarter of a percentage point on assets under management. You even have an option to upgrade for access to a CFP or a licensed financial expert. Isn't it time that you did take control? What are you waiting for? Don't wait till tax time. You're mad at that time. This is a happy time. It's the beginning of the year. So go check out Betterment. Just go to Betterment.com slash better off and you can learn more. And now back to our interview with Pat Headley. So where do, where do the people fall down? If the follow-up occurs, you send the follow-up, how do you then make this somebody who is really is part of your network? What, is, what, what should you be doing after that? Um, there are several things that you can do. And just to preface it, of the 100 people you meet, if you go ahead on this project and do that, not every single person is going to be helpful to you right away. And that's okay. Understand that. People can be helpful to you later in your life. I tell the story of one man, and this is an important story. 
He gave me one of my first rejections when I was recruiting for jobs. He called me. We had a great interview. I really liked him. He called me up and he said, Pat, you're not moving forward. And we talked a little bit and I hung up the phone. He did it in such a nice way that I didn't feel badly about it. What do you know? Two years later, he's the banker presenting to my company. I'm on the other side of the table. After that, he comes to me for career advice when I was in a position mm. where I was able to help him with that. And since then, in the last three years, he introduced me to a company. We both invested. It was a great opportunity. That's this cool. is a man who said no to me. So if somebody says no to you, don't despair. You met a person who could come back in your life in ways that you cannot foresee. You cannot foresee it. So that's the serendipity piece. The what else can you do? You know, if you are looking for a job and you're meeting people as part of informational meetings and perhaps interviews, tell them what happened next. When you land a job, go back to all those people and say, thank you so much for having spent time with me. I ended up working for X company and I'd love to stay in touch. Let's kind of play this out. So you're meeting these people. Let's pretend it's more of the job search part of it, right? Because, you know, the labor market is doing well. People are going to start looking for jobs. It's going to be the new year and everyone's going to be like, let's go, right? You and I have a meeting. Let's just make it. It's January 15th. We have a meeting. It's a great meeting. Um, You're the boss. I've met you. I follow up. Thank you. Now, when when do I bug you again? Well, if I haven't given you any information and I said I would... Then it's fine to follow up a week later and say, I just wanted to check in and see how things were going. Then it's incumbent upon me to be pretty transparent and say, you know, there really isn't an opportunity here. But touch base with me in three months, six months. Right. Let you let the other person let define that. Let the other person define it as well. So it is a give and take, but it doesn't happen unless you are proactive. This is the one thing that I really don't like young people saying. I don't want to send them a note because I don't want to bother them. You are not bothering people by sending a follow-up note. You are not bothering them by asking them a question. You shouldn't send them, you know, 10 emails within a week, okay? (laughs) There are limits to that. But one, you know, email and saying, you know, I just thought I'd check back in. Mm -hmm. That's okay. You know what? It's funny. You know, part of my life was spent selling. And a lot of this is soft selling skills, which are taught to you when you learn how to sell. Right. But all of a sudden, selling became sort of a bad thing in this current iteration of business. Like no one wants to raise his hand and say or her hand and say, I'm a salesperson with pride. And I think that's actually a shame because I think the skills you learn as a salesperson are the skills that will really carry you through so much of your life. These are simple guidelines, and they are related to sales. And and I will argue, and I do in my book, that a large percent of us will participate in the gig economy. We will be freelancers. I mean, I think there's a prediction that says that in the year 2020, nearly 50% of people will be working for themselves on their own. If you do not know how to market yourself and your skills, you're going to starve. It's going to be much harder. You need to be able to get out there and do this. And and I agree with you at the very beginning of this, you said networking is is kind of like a, a term that is doesn't have the right connotations. And, and as I was writing the book, I was thinking, I wish there were another word for this. What I am talking about is building relationships, establishing connections. And I think it's accessible, joyful, and life-affirming. That is not what people think about when they think of networking. And yet 
it can be that. I so passionately believe that this is what networking really is. is it's about building relationships. And even if I got my job right away, I didn't have to interview much, and I'm in my job and I'm like super smart and successful, I would argue you have to network. And even if you're not looking for a job, you have to network. You have to meet people within your firm. You have to meet peers similar to you outside your firm. And you have to meet people who are very different than you are to become smarter and more aware. You have to be the journalist of your life. And the only way to do that is by talking to people. Last uh, couple of questions here. You have like a fancy pedigree, right? You went to Dartmouth, uh, which it's all right, you know, it's okay if you want to be in the woods in New Hampshire or whatever. They're beautiful woods. They are beautiful. Okay. You went to Dartmouth. You went to Harvard Business School. Yes. Those created networks for you. Yes. Right? Natural networks. Yes. There are some people who would say one of the big reasons to go to these expensive schools, not just for the education, is because of the network. Do you think that that's still the case today? I do. Yeah, I do think that, you know, any club you join, any company you join, any camp you go to all provides you the opportunity to meet people within those organizations. But if you're at UConn or SUNY, you could also build a network right there. Absolutely. And they're incredibly successful people that go to every different college in the United States. It is up to you to leverage it. And I think if you go with the mindset of I'm going to meet the people and I'm going to leverage that network, you can do incredibly well. It doesn't matter really where you go. It matters much more how proactive you are about meeting people. Okay. So before we let you go, Pat Headley, the author of Meet 100 People, A How-To Guide to the Career and Life Edge Everyone's Missing, uh, we have a bookend question. Remember I said to you, what was the best financial career decision? And you said showing up in jeans, canceling an interview, and then ultimately working for this firm for 30 years. What's the worst? The worst is, I would have to say, uh, a a mistake of omission. Uh So it's what I didn't do as opposed to what I did do. There were several times where I have um, looked at companies and analyzed them and had a conviction that I knew would happen. And I didn't execute on it. And I beat myself about, about it today. So my advice for anyone is if you have a conviction and if you've done a lot of research, oh my God, just go for it. Even if it's just a small investment, whatever it is, you have to do it because, you know, you can't look backwards. I have to get over the fact that I feel badly about that and move on because, you know, opportunities will come in the future as well. Uh, but for me, it's more of, I wish I had done that. You mean like that little thing? Oh, remember that guy, that guy, Mark Zuckerberg, he wanted that thing called, <laughs> no, it wasn't like that. But I think that that's good. I think it's good not to have regrets. I also think it's good to take yourself off the hook for not doing something or doing something stupid because right. we all do stupid things. That's, that seems reasonable to me. It's that, all like, about learning. And as you said, you know, at least do it, even if it's a small bit, to say, I did it, it worked, it didn't work, and then you learn something from the experience. Pat Headley, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so very much for having me. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. It's time for the listener question of the week. Remember, you've got two chances to come on the air with us. We do the listener question of the week after our interview And then we also have the bonus call of the week. We drop that on Tuesdays. If you want to come on the air, it's very easy to do. 
just send us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's what Sean from Baltimore did, and he is on the line. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the show. What can I do for you? I'm expecting to have a pretty big um, tax refund and just curious what I should be doing with that money. Uh, really big is about $10,000. Oh, great. Why, do, why did that happen, by the way? Because um, I got an electric vehicle, so there's a lot of tax credits you get. Nice. That. That's kind of cool. All right, great. Tell yeah. me about yourself. Um, I'm 37, single, um, make about 122 a year, mm-hmm. have about 10000 in cash, around 320 in various retirement accounts, mm-hmm. and about $45,000 in uh, brokerage accounts. Okay. How are how are those assets invested right now? The so the cash is in cash, obviously. You've got a retirement right. account, got different stuff. But I'm most interested in the brokerage account. Is that filled with stocks or mutual funds or what? Um, that's mainly stocks. What's up with that? Tell me a little bit about that. Um, well, Warren yeah, Buffett, I, I, you're a stock no, picker. <laughs> um, no, I'm more. Uh, you know, there's a, a website that I follow that kind of like their philosophy of just, you know, finding good companies and just holding on for for the long term. Mm. So that's kind of uh, what I'm doing. And I kind of just take their advice and what things that I, I agree with. How long have you been doing that, the individual stock picking? Um, About uh, five years. Okay. So you've done it in a middle of a bull market. So that's good. Right. Presumably, you've got some gains that are embedded in that account? Yes. Okay. And uh, in your retirement account, off the one hundred twenty-two grand a year, how much are you putting away into your retirement? At my company, I get a pretty nice deal where I personally put in five percent, mm-hmm. but then my company, I get a ten and a half percent like match. Wow, so I get, like, that's pretty huge. So you're only putting in five percent, and right. and that goes into a traditional tax deferred. Is it a four hundred one k? Uh, 403B, yeah. Okay, okay. And that's is that the max out of the match? In other words, that you put five in and they put ten and a half in? Yeah, I mean, I put, I, I, you put in four and you get ten and a half. So. That's amazing. It's really yeah. great. What else are you doing? How much is going into that brokerage account? Uh, maybe 400 a month. Do you, have a, do you also have a Roth IRA per chance? I do have a couple of Roth IRAs, yes. And are you contributing to those? No, I'm not. Hmm. Why not? Okay. Can I just point out something that's a possibility? Why sure. not have, instead of 400 month in the brokerage account, why not put the money into the Roth IRA and max that mm-hmm. out at 5500 and buy the stocks in there so that if you have big gains and you want to sell stuff, there's no tax liability? Yeah, that's something Yeah, I've thought about. But yeah, I guess I think that makes a lot more sense because then, you know, one of the problems that you have when you, I mean, again, if you're going to be a buy and hold person, and I am not a stock picker, so I'm just going on my belief that you, Sean, are the best stock picker in Baltimore or in the world. But that said, the problem with it is that you want to be able to actually sell it and lock in gains. Maybe there's going to be stocks that you want to build on and you say, hey, you know what? I'm an idiot. I don't want to take some money off the table. You are less likely to do that if there's a big tax liability embedded in it. I also like the idea of instead of putting 400 a month into a brokerage account that, you know, in addition to the 5% that you're putting into your 403B, that you also put 5,500 into your Roth IRA and make that your stock picking account. 
Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Now let's talk about this refund. So mm-hmm. what are we going to do with a refund? So the things I was thinking was to contribute, you know, to my 2017 and 2018 uh, Roth. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about doing that, mm-hmm. or just keeping it in cash because since I don't have, you know, the six months or whatever they say for the emergency fund, I don't have that in cash readily available. Maybe just putting it towards that. This is what I would do. This is my suggestion. Sure. You're either going to listen or not. So I have no no way to know it. So we'll make a prinky swear on the on the air that hopefully you do this. The 400 okay. a month that you're putting into the brokerage, put it into your emergency reserve fund because you probably do need more than whatever you have in cash, the $10,000 right. in cash, right? Um, what yeah. do you figure you need in there? I mean, what are your expenses right now? Let's see, for like six months, I'd I say probably around... 20 would probably be. Okay. So that's good. Safe. You know, so now put in the $400 a month you were putting in. Let's put the $400 a month for now. Just put it into your cash account. Stop doing the brokerage account. Get that cash up to 20 grand. When you get that refund, top off the emergency reserve fund, then make your Roth contribution for 2017 with the refund. If you can, you can use the rest of it for the 2018. And if not, then the $400 a month that you were putting into the brokerage account, divert a chunk of that and maybe the whole thing to get to your 5500 Roth for 2018. Okay. Now, any yeah. debt that's out there that I need to worry about? Um, yeah, I do have debt at, at low interest rates. Okay. Um, I have a, a mortgage, uh, which I am paying PMI on. That's at uh, 4 and uh, 4.15%. Mm-hmm. How much and money have, do you think you have to pay down to get that PMI off the board? I have to do like another 40K okay. to get to that. I'd love to yeah. get that paid off. Um, I have a, a car loan, about mm. $3,500. No, sorry, 35000 at 2%. 35000 Look at you, big shot. What kind of car are you driving? Sh- Chevy Volt. Oh, you or, got the Volt. I thought you were going to tell right, me you had a right. Tesla. I'm totally kidding. No, okay. No. Any credit card? No, no. I mean, I pay my don't carry over credit card debt. Good. And and nine thousand in student loans. That's at two point six percent. All right. So we don't have to pay down the car. We don't have to pay down the student loans. You'll just pay that off. I think you're on the right track. Look, you've got a bunch of money. It's a funny thing that you have forty five thousand dollars in your brokerage account, and you've got forty thousand dollars that you know brings you down to a loan to value ratio where you won't need PMI. It's a funny thing that the numbers almost work. I, I would be much less concerned about building up that brokerage account than getting rid of my PMI, maxing out my Roth, putting money into my 403B. You may have to put a little bit more into your 403B to fit below the Roth IRA contribution limit. The Roth IRA phase out begins at 120000 So you might want to just keep that in the back of your mind. I think okay. you're on the right track. I just think I would be, I'm less interested in your buying individual stocks than I am in you maxing out retirement to the extent that you can, buying low-cost index funds, you know, keeping the cost of investing really low, be efficient, and with a little bit of money, maybe in one of, you know, maybe in a Roth account, and I'm talking a little bit like 5%, maybe up to 10% of your total invested assets, that's what you Mm -hmm. would be your fund stock picking money, but no more than that. I guess I don't think that you need to be taking on that extra level of risk, even if it is fun for you. Okay. Let's get that Roth rocking and rolling, all right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. All right, man. Good luck. Don't spend that okay. refund all in one place. Thanks for calling. All right. Thanks, Jill. Take care. Thanks again to our guest, Pat Headley. Listen to what she says. Go out and meet 100 people. And to our caller, Sean. 
We drop new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. You can download the show anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or you can go to JillOnMoney.com. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. We're distributed by Cadence 13. Mark Talercio is our executive producer, and we're sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Talk to you next week.